Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film P.S. I Love You. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast because you know we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. And also, let's be honest, it's a really terrible film. But if you do care about that kind of thing and you do proceed without having seen the film, just be aware that there are a few spoilers for the film. P.S. I love you. Enjoy. Good evening. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm not too bad, not too bad. You hearing me all right? I'm hearing you A-OK. Good. I might just turn off my thing just in case. Um, just Also, I don't want you to see my face because I'm red. Although, You're, Are you sunburnt? Have uh, you been out in the sun? No, I'm not sunburnt. I'm just red from the heat. Really. Uh, just from so, the sheer hotness. I've done quite well, actually, at avoiding the sunburn this year. I'm like a pro. Oh, very good. And then now that I've said that, I will inevitably go to softball tomorrow and get burnt to a crisp. <laughs> it's always the way, isn't it? Yeah. You're you're confident about having avoided getting sunburnt and then all of a sudden it will just happen. Yeah. But how how are you coping with this era that future historians will undoubtedly refer to as peak gobshite? <laughs> um I am I am thoroughly hating yet enjoying the era of peak gobshite. Being a a white middle class man, I feel entirely unthreatened by the hordes of horrible people descending on everybody else, um, making me incredibly angry, but at the same time enjoying their pitiful attempts to do anything horrible to anybody instead of just crying into their cornflakes. Yeah. So, yeah. Shall we get the Elon Musk chat out of the way then? He's He's been very <laughs> bad this week. He's been a very bad boy. He's been a naughty, naughty billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> Not content with being sad that people make fun of billionaires because they are obviously the most vulnerable people in the world. Yeah. Um, They're the only he... group that it's okay to hate. <laughs> he then, um, he then, having faced criticism from the one of the major um, parties of the Thai football team rescue, um, one of the people who was instrumental in arranging for all of the divers to take part in the rescue attempts, um he he did not appreciate being told off by this person who was kind of a hero let's just put it like that you know without this person those boys may well not have made it out safely um elon musk his uh child trapping submarine was seen as a bit of a waste of time by some people involved in the mission and elon musk took this criticism incredibly well um, by referring to one of the people who helped run the mission as a paedophile. <laughs> Whereas, you know, if either of those two men were to be cast as the child catcher in an off-Broadway production of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, it'd be Elon Musk. It would, because he'd be the one with a flying car as well, so he'd be able to cover the bases of both sides. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tesla, Tesla, Bang Bang. <laughs> It's our new Broadway show. <laughs> no, it's a musical, I, I said musical about all of the reliability issues of Teslas. Yeah. And also <laughs> how likely Elon Musk is to get angry and explode on people. Yeah. It's just, 
it happens every time anyone criticizes someone who's got wealth and power. It's almost as if those things being concentrated just turns people into dickheads, but also <laughs> makes them incredibly thin-skinned. Because if you look at Trump, Trump is exactly the same. Anyone says anything about him and he's immediately like, oh, it's, it's a witch hunt, it's this, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, you're, you know, you're, you're the president of the United States. People are going to criticize you. Just take it with, some, take it with dignity, man, and get on with doing some actual policies instead of flying around the world looking for opportunities for people to criticize you so you can tweet some dumb bullshit about how offended you are. Grow, grow the fuck up. I appreciate uh, the fact that you gave Donald Trump the voice of a, of a 1920s tough man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, in other news about bullbags on the internet, um, obviously Donald Trump <laughs> is, is perpetually a bullbag, but I've been let down by someone who I thought was not a bullbag. And he seems to have... Um, he seems to have reached a, a a rather low level of transphobia. It's a Glinner who's the fella who oh, yeah. um, who made uh well who wrote Father Ted and the IT crowd and various other shows. Um and he's been going a bit off the deep end in terms of being transphobic and supporting uh TERF, so trans exclusionary radical feminists, who yeah. basically these people, if you've never come across them, dear listeners, these people think that trans women are either a plot by the patriarchy to undermine femininity and um and destroy lesbianism or it's people who are deluded uh by into thinking that they are women instead of you know what they actually are which is trans women yeah there's people um, who they're... erase and deny the identity of trans people trans yes. women and they've they've got it in for trans men as well basically they, they're not they they're do. not fans of trans people in any capacity and they are some of the most hateful people to walk this planet honestly they're just just awful yeah they're, they're absolutely mental and then yeah the fellow who's made um father ted has kind of decided yeah they're 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 an, a marginalized group and that turf is a slur instead of the fact that it stands for what they are and what they you know stand for yeah <laughs> Well, if you look back at the IT crowd, I actually think it was a very, very funny show. But there is one episode that is quite transphobic where Matt Berry's character dates a woman and then he thinks that um, she she tells him in confidence that she used to be a man. But what he hears is I come from Iran, which is kind of a dumb joke in the first place. But then when it eventually is revealed a little further down the line, like he immediately breaks up with her and it's like he didn't need any reason to break up with her other than that she was trans and that i think is actually transphobic but it didn't seem so at the time you know so i think he's always actually been a little bit transphobic and he's in a similar position to ricky gervais where he's he's done he's done some real true comedy greats written some really really great stuff back in the day hasn't really done anything good recently and is just spending too much time dicking about on Twitter and being annoyed every time anyone decides to criticism, being completely unable to take any criticism whatsoever or actually listen to or have a dialogue with anyone. And just because they have loads of followers and a lot of money and wealth and power, just acting like a complete knob and acting like that means they're above anyone else who decides to criticism rather than engaging in dialogue. And it stinks. 
and and what surprises me is that he was on the receiving end of quite a lot of hate from Gamergate. Um, and so he knows how these hate groups function quite obviously firsthand. And and across the board, his politics are generally okay. Um, but when it comes to supporting turfs, he's just completely gone off the deep end. It's really strange. I think um, for people like him as well, who think that they're woke and who have see, been seen to be woke over other issues... It's like it's one or the other. It's like, oh, you you can't accuse me of that. I'm woke. I'm I'm a good person. I'm this, that, and whatever. Whereas if someone accused me of being transphobic or like criticized something that I had done or that I had said in that context, I would listen to them. And you know, I like to think that I'm that I'm a woke guy. But like, you know, I would listen to a trans person's experience because I'm not trans. How would I know what they are going through? You know, is it's that kind of that kind of unwillingness to engage with people on their level i just find completely baffling yeah it's really bizarre um and and yeah so it's it's been quite strange um to see him slowly evolve into a gammon yeah um <laughs> over the space of a few weeks gammon and refuse refuse to listen to experts and instead just cherry pick arguments here and there much like gamergate um he's kind of taken on those kind of sort of strategies which is a bit of a shame to see to be perfectly honest but it did allow me to have a chuckle at thinking about someone coming up to him and saying uh so i hear you're a transphobe now father <laughs> i did see that you tweeted that that's extremely good yeah i didn't want to you know i could have put it in a tweet to him and stuff like that but that's not my forte that's not I'd just leave it out there he'd probably have just blocked you anyway he he would have he he likes a good block doesn't he yeah he doesn't like to listen um, so speaking of um, terrible things to do with <laughs> Ireland, <laughs> good segue, good segue. Um, you sent me a text, Paddy. Normally, it's me sending the angry text saying this is a terrible film, but this time it came from you. Yeah, it um, did. It did. <laughs> and so I, I, I don't know. I don't know whether I hate this movie. I, th- I think really? you don't like it a lot. No. Um, but there was. I don't know. Let's hear your argument. Why do you not like? <laughs> I hated, I I hated this film a lot. For for context, <laughs> we should say that the text that I sent you, I decided I could have gone into detail. Like sometimes when we're watching, you're watching a film that I've made you watch that you don't like, or you'll send me text, text be maybe questioning it, being like, "What is this nonsense? Why is this happening?" Or "This is a bit strange." I just sent you a text that said, "P.S. I love you" is fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's very childish, but. It was like it was ten o'clock, and I didn't have the energy to to, to say anything more articulate <laughs> than that. Um, did you not feel that Jared Butler's perfect Irish accent was reason enough to love this His movie? Paddy? Incredibly good Irish accent, despite not being an Irish man. It's like I want. I I went into this. I was going to you know open the discussion by saying you know were there no Irish actors available who could have played that part? You know, they could have got Colin Farrell or someone if they if they wanted to go for that kind of action hero hunk kind of guy. Um, but then I realised that they probably must have shown the script to a whole bunch of Irish people who had looked at it, realised that it represents Ireland as, you know, a tokenistic nation of leprechauns and and jokey accents and ha-ha-ha funny Basically, it's it's actually it's bordering on racist the way that it portrays the Irish, but yeah, I bet, I bet a bunch of Irish dudes read the script and then told them all to feck off. Now, Paddy, I have seen Father Ted, therefore I know exactly what Ireland is like. <laughs> um, 
And clearly, P.S. I Love You is 100% accurate in its depiction of Ireland. Yeah. Did you know that... Okay. Well, as we're on the subject, and as I have Irish ancestry, we should talk about this. Let's let's get into this. <laughs> I would... You know, did, someone called Paddy. <laughs> I never would have expected there to be any Irish ancestry there, Paddy. Did, did you know that all Irish men are musicians? Uh, yeah, I didn't. Well, come on, Paddy. You are a musician. <laughs> I know. You have Irish heritage. I'm come a, on. I'm a musician. But no, all, all Irish men are not, on, not only are musicians, but they're accomplished musicians too, all of whom enjoy playing in pubs and bands and know how to play every folk song or song vaguely um, of Irish descent, such as Galway Girl, not the Ed Sheeran version, the good song by Steve Earle, <laughs> which Ed Sheeran stole the title. Um yeah, all Irish men are musicians, all Irish men are cheeky, all Irish men love to drink Jameson's whiskey, all Irish men joke around, yeah, all Irish men are friends with priests, all Irish men are Catholic, you know, it's this, it's all like, it's all like that. And if you date an Irish man, um, you have to have It's a Long Way to Tipperary as your ringtone, even if he's dead. And his favourite song has to be that fucking awful Christmas song from the Pogues. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That is fucking... That's no. That's not anyone's favourite song. It's a good song, <laughs> but it's a Christmas song. No um, one's favourite I... song is a Christmas song. And you don't play a Christmas song at a funeral. It's bad luck. Um, I have something to disagree with you there, Paddy. That song is terrible and it deserves to be burnt <laughs> at the stake. It is my least favourite Christmas song. Shut I up, hate you it. scumbag. You make We've it, talked you a lot about people faggot. who are phobic of stuff, but that song is outwardly homophobic and still somehow gets radio play. And it's just like, no, get in the bin. Get in the bin with your terrible Irish rubbish. <laughs> well, um, yes, I have to agree that the use of the word faggot is not good and should not be played on the radio all the time that that song is definitely worth reconsidering in light of that word being completely unacceptable but there is a sort of don't you think there's a sort of laddish camaraderie around a drunken sing-along to it in the same way that people sing in response to football matches it feels the same way as when people hear Kasabian on a club night and start jumping up and down. That's what it is. It is the it is the Christmas version of Clubfoot by Kasabian. <laughs> That's all it is, Paddy. Get out. I would rather listen to Jared Butler with his fake Irish accent singing a Christmas song than listen to the Pogues and Kirsty McCall. Oh. Have you have yeah. you listened to any of the Pogues' other material? I have, yeah, it's fine. Because it's all just like that. It's it's Irish folk music, yeah. but it's good. It's, and it's upbeat it, it, and it's, it's punky it's, and it's, it's fun. It's vaguely you know. punky Irish folk music, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's fine. They 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 do what they do and they do it well. And Shane McGowan seems to get by with far below the requisite number of teeth. <laughs> so you've got to respect a man like that. Uh, between him and the guy from the Happy Mondays, they have a full set, don't they? <laughs> Sean Ryder. Yeah. <laughs> here's something else there um, were so... um, a bunch of french found out yesterday through the medium of incoherent drunken football related singing that we live next to or just on the edge of our road is like a house full of french people and they were because france won the world cup obviously so they were up late it was about ten thirty, um and yeah all windows were open it was a lot, and they're all in the garden that backs onto our road just all singing but they were singing in french but in the accent of an English person singing football songs. And it sounded so weird and so strange. 
and I was really, really confused by it, and it was very offensive, and I was almost about to call the cops, and then they, and then they went inside, because <laughs> I'm a 90-year-old suburban old git. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah, France won the World Cup, which I'm a little bit disappointed in, because the first two goals of the game shouldn't have stood. Oh, really? Yeah, one was someone dived to get a free kick, and then there was a goal from the free kick. The other one was a penalty that shouldn't have been given. Um, so I'm a little bit disappointed in the result. But it's good Ouch. for France, because, you know... It's nice for them to have something. Yeah. The, the France have now overtaken us in terms of World Cups 1. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so they are now ahead of us with two instead of one. Cool. Um, and it came a full 20 years after their last World Cup win. So Who's, nice who's won the most World Cup? Um, Brazil has won the most World Cups. Right. Um, because they are amazing. How, how many? <laughs> uh, so wait, is it five or six? Wow. I can never remember. They've won lots. Not bad. Um, but yes. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, back to PS I Love You. Yeah, I think that it must be read in context as well as I watched it last night. Um, I had a really, really nice weekend. with um, Friends of the podcast, Samuel C. Williams and Rosie Hathaway came to stay with us and we had a really nice weekend. And after they left, I was a little bit bummed out. You know, when you've been having like a really good time and then, yeah, it's a bit of a come down and now you've got to iron your shirts for the week and you've got to clean the table and whatever else. And I was just feeling a bit grumpy. And then we watched some baseball um, and Claire wanted to watch the Yankees game. So we watched a bit of the Yankees game, we watched a bit of the Blue, Blue, Blue Jays game and the Yankees and the Blue Jays both lost. And then we watched PS I Love You. And as soon as it started, she was like, oh yeah, I've seen this film. I really hate it. But it, ma- <laughs> but it makes me cry. Um, so I went into it in the context of knowing that my wife hated it. Um, hated, yeah, and that it also made her cry. And then, so I didn't approach it in a good context, I think. But I think even if I had, I'd still have thought it was bullshit. See, yeah, I, I watched it um, today. So I watched a bit of it on my lunch break and a little bit of it after work. Oh. Um, and, um, and yeah, I... You know, I've, I I know that people like it and they like it in the same way that they like the notebook in that they kind of recognize it as not being very good, but it hits those emotional points that they want to feel at a certain time. Yeah. Um. So it's got that very much calculated misery, but with an upliftingness to it that the notebook doesn't achieve, for instance, because the notebook is just sad. Here is the sad. Enjoy the sad. I I hated over. this film more than the Notebook. I think this oh, is really? worse. I think this is worse than the Notebook. See, I th- this film it reached a level of, and and I think a lot of the people who like this movie recognize it as being quite trashy. And for me, it reached that level of trashiness where I was like, okay, I can see what they're doing here. And I was like rolling along with the terrible accents and the fake island and everything like that, um, which I really, you know, I didn't appreciate it, but I sort of, you know, I gave it a bit of a chuckle. Yeah. I think with the notebook it's it is a good comparison because they're films of of that ilk films that are known for being emotionally manipulative and for dealing with yeah here's some sadness and all that kind of bullshit but this didn't have Ryan Gosling in it it didn't but it had Jared Butler trying to put on an Irish accent which is even better in my opinion it's very poor i i used to think jared butler was okay but i'm very offended by his performance in this and i think actually <laughs> he he has to do some kind of really really seriously amazing film to get back in my good books and based on what i know of his oeuvre i don't think that film exists 
Excuse me, he was in the 300 where he kicked a man down a hole, Paddy. <laughs> He's kicked a man down a hole. What have you done? <laughs> <laughs> I've not um, seen 300 and I don't care. It looks boring and stupid. It, it's it's entertaining in terms of a silly action movie. Um, in, t- in terms of what else he's done, he was in that terrible Phantom of the Opera movie. Oh, yeah. Where he played the Phantom. Yeah. And that's good. But it's not good, but that's... It's all right. Know, entertaining. It's better than PSL, I love you. <laughs> he's in... Um, he, he, he's in uh, one of the worst films I've seen recently, Gods of Egypt where he plays the Egyptian god Set, Jared Butler, the Scottish man, very well known for being an ancient <laughs> Egyptian. That, um, that film looks absolutely dire. <laughs> that, it was not very good. But he, does, he voices people in How to Train Your Dragon, doesn't he? In the okay. How to Train Your, Train Your Dragon movies. That's good. That is a, a very good franchise. Yes, yeah. There's a new one um, quite soon, I think. Oh, is there? Well, yeah. That's very good. And there's um, Incredibles 2 we're going to see on Friday. So it's it's a good time for animation, I think. There we go. Um, but yeah, so Jared Butler, I kind of love him. Um, he he does a lot of bad films, but at the same time, there's something about him that's kind of magnetic. He seems very shameless, which is is an admirable quality in some contexts, I guess. I think you're just angry because it was about an Irish singer and it wasn't about you, Paddy. <laughs> like this should have been about me. Yeah. For sure. I would like to play a dead man who creepily comes back from the dead to appear in all these weird visions. <laughs> but but I, I quite um I did quite appreciate the framework of the film. Um and and the way that it sort of tied together the the past and the present in that way where certain moments would then trigger her to remember an event. And some of them were quite contrived. So, um, well, at the time, it feels contrived when Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who's somehow doing a better Irish accent than Jared Butler, <laughs> in spite of the fact that he's from the other side of the Atlantic. In spite of the fact that um, he's mumbling like hell. I couldn't hear a <laughs> word he was saying. That, that's just Jeffrey Dean Morgan. He's a mumbler. Ugh. He, he's got that. Mu- he's, he's, he is the human embodiment of mumblecore. Jeff, old Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dean. Dean Mumbler. Um, yeah, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's one of my faves. Isn't he like, the big bad man in The Walking Dead? He is, yeah. Um, at such a point in that show where I don't care about any of those other characters. So I, I, I stopped watching The Walking Dead in Series 3 and I never bothered to start watching it again. Um, because, well, I think we've had this discussion before, Paddy, but the best thing about The Walking Dead is the Telltale games that were yes. made based on it. They are terrifying. Um, the comics are very good. I haven't caught up with them for at least a year, probably longer, but they are very good. See, I found that the pacing of the comics was way off. And in fact, I feel like they improved the pacing in the TV show um, where they managed to space it out that little bit better. Whereas I felt that in the comics, everything was far too rushed and then suddenly just get, oh, and then we're going to sit around for a while. Um, And I didn't really feel like it had that pacing right, which I think they improved in the show. But the show itself then just started getting very repetitive and boring. Um, Whereas the Telltale games, I've only played the first two, but they were both very good in very different ways. Um, and so I kind of I have no real interest in anything other than the Telltale games now when it comes to the Walking Dead series. Um, but yes, he is in that, and I haven't seen him in that. But when it reaches that point, if I ever get around to rewatching it again, I will be rooting for him because he's Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I hear that his performance is very good. Yes, yeah, and he plays the comedian in Watchmen. Yeah. Um, in 
a, a movie that not everybody likes, but pretty much everybody respects his performance in that as the comedian. He does it very, very well. I didn't hate that um, film. I thought it was okay. Yeah, I felt like Watchmen is kind of an unfilmable comic. And in terms of filming an unfilmable comic, they did a good job with it. Yeah. Um, but I was the so, performances are pretty much bang on. When that film really came like. out, I still thought that Alan Moore was okay, whereas since then I have come to really not like him and his work. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I um, think that I, the, the comics world's obsession with him and deifying of him is stupid and that he is really pretentious and most of his work is really up its own ass. So sorry, comics fans. Unpopular opinion view there. I'd say I'd say a lot of it is up its own ass, but at the same time, some of it is still incredibly good. What Watchmen is the best critique of the comic book hero ever, yeah. and I haven't read anything else that's tried to do the same thing anywhere near as well. Yeah, I'd, um, I'd agree with that. E- equally, his Batman work was incredibly good. I don't really care for V for Vendetta; it's fine. It's all right, you know. Um, I don't hate but, it. Yeah, the like, film was all some right. Of, some of some of his work is incredibly good, and Watchmen stands up as one of the pinnacles of what comics can do as an art form. And there's a reason why it was held in so such high regard for such a long time. Um, and you can kind of understand his trepidation about people adapting it because, you know, he hadn't had very good experiences with people adapting his work up until that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he is a bit of an ass. Well, you know. Yeah, a hairy one. Bit of a hairy ass. Yeah. Looks like Rasputin. <laughs> yeah. Rasputin of Northampton. <laughs> you just you have to be suspicious of someone who doesn't want to move out of Northampton. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're right. Actually, yeah, it's like um, Philip Larkin and his love of Hull. Yeah, or love hate of Hull. You're like, why? Deeply def- suspicious. Definitely something wrong there. Um, but yeah, Jeffrey D. Morgan, I he's fine in this film, and and like at the time, it feels weird that he's playing that same song. But then, obviously, you you come to realize that he was part of the same band. That um, that is so cheap, though. That is, but like, is, it, oh, is yeah. it cheap because it's a because tiny as village. well as all Irish men being musicians, they also all know each other. Well, the thing is, it's a tiny village in Ireland where there's going to be one pub that puts music on, so they probably would know each other. It's not as though she went to Dublin and then happened to come across them. Yeah, I guess. But but it's more that like he didn't recognise her in the first instance when he supposedly was there on the night that they got together. He would have yes, recognised yeah. her. They would that, have recognized... that part of the storytelling was, yeah, was woolly as hell. They would have recognised each other. But the fact that they met up again coincidentally wasn't part of the issue because if you you know it's a tiny place if you go to most towns where they have that kind of setup you it's still the same people over and over again or even the same sort of county yeah um where you know there's there's only so many places that put on live music and there's only so many bands that play there routinely so of course they're going to know each other well every pub in ireland has live music and that <laughs> that's not a stereotype that is a universal truth that is actually true, yeah. Um, ev- everywhere in Ireland. If it serves Guinness, it also has someone with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. That's actually fact. Even if they're awful, they'll be there in the corner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hacking away. Um, but yeah, all of the Ireland stuff was a bit strange and it felt a bit fairy tale-y. Um, Particularly on the second trip at the end, 
um it all feels a little bit too fairy tale like that was very tacked on and i feel yes. like okay so this is based on a book a, a classic work of chick lit as they call it but um i i read on the wikipedia page and you know when if the wikipedia page has a whole section a whole little tab you can click on called differences between film and movie that's probably not a good sign is it but there's um there's a bit under that where it says that hit, um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character was made up for the film and doesn't exist in the book. So I imagine that the book does not have that kind of tacked on coda where it's sort of implied that they're going to get together and also that her mum is going to date his dad, which is just... <laughs> and you're like, don't do it, Kathy Bates. You're the only person in this film who can act. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit strange, isn't it? Like because up until that point you've got that very neat conclusion where um where she tries kissing the bartender guy and then neither of them likes it and they realise, okay, yeah, we'll be friends. The guy and who that's a really... is a poor man's Nathan Fillion. <laughs> isn't Nathan Fillion a poor man's Nathan Fillion? Um and uh and um and yeah, it's quite nice that it's just there and they realise that they just want to be friends and that's it and they have that little handshake. It's like okay. That's fine. Yeah. She she re- and, and and then there's also the positive message of she doesn't need to be with somebody. You know, she's reached that that level of happiness again and that contentment. Yeah, but it then needing... completely cheapened that by having this coda where she looked into into Jeffrey Dean Morgan's eyes. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Is is they didn't need that finale. Yeah. They could have quite happily left it at that and let them get on with it. Although the just to just to make matters really really bad, he can get into Yankee Stadium anytime he wants. Get into Yankee Stadium completely empty. There's no time when it's ever completely empty. There'd always be some guy up there cleaning the seats, picking the chewing gum off them or whatever. But anyway, it's completely empty. They could stand literally anywhere in the stadium. You could stand on the plate. You could stand on the pitcher's mound. You could go anywhere you want to. You could stand out in right field and like pretend you're like having a call. Cool, you're like like in the game. You can tell that they don't even like baseball because. They, the place that they choose to stand is on top of the dugout. You can't stand there. It's a tin roof. Is it even a tin roof in the Yankee Stadium? Though? Even in the Yankee Stadium, I'm pretty sure it's a tin roof. It's a very nicely painted tin roof, but a tin roof nonetheless. Because I'm having a look at the Yankee Stadium here. Yeah. Looking but anyway, you're not, you're not supposed to stand on top of the dugout. I was very offended by that. And it also, it made the shot quite weird as well, because it was really kind of shadowy. There were lots of quite strange shots in this film as well, from really weird angles. Uh, there was one of Lisa Kudrow in a wedding dress, getting a wedding dress fitting, where they, they were both talking to each other in profile, and you couldn't really see what was going on. And there were, yeah, lots of really bizarre camera angles. Did you find that? A little bit. I didn't think it was that bad. I wouldn't have, I, it's not something that I would have pointed out, because you find quite a lot of these movies are quite clumsily filmed. Um, particularly at this era, um, because back in 2007-ish, um, there was still this kind of default, just general competency to filmmaking of these kind of movies before before they started taking risks with having more auteur directors who had to take an extra focus on having interesting artistic shots and things like that. So a lot of them feel almost like TV movies. And that's the same for pretty much every single rom-com from this era. Before the rise and, of and Michael this is no, Bay. And this is and this is no different. This film feels exactly the same as every other movie, like American rom com from two thousand through to two thousand and nine ish. 
Yeah. Where they, where they all just have vaguely competent direction, and that's about it. Yeah, and th- but this, this is maybe kind of towards the... We were talking about the, the kind of the, the golden rom-com period when we were talking about Set It Up the other week. And I guess this is kind of this is kind of towards the tail end of that isn't it where they started make it just like cheaply acquiring stuff from books and not really doing justice to it rather than making it an irish film in ireland where the book was set so the book the book it was all set in ireland they just get to they get to make it into an american film fine i'm not against that in principle but the fact that they they had everything be american apart from the one guy who was just tokenistically irish that's the thing if all of the the Irishness in it was just so it was like they did it because they felt like they had to for the book and they decided to make a cheap joke out of it and it really I feel like cheapens the book even though people would say that that kind of literature is already cheap but it can be cheapened a hell of a lot more and this home def- this film definitely does that well the 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 use of Jared Butler's character in this movie um is almost a metaphor for the creation of this film as a whole where obviously the the main book's set in Ireland. You could make it in Ireland. Would people watch it? Probably not if you had two Irish actors. You know, so to make it more marketable, they then Americanized it. And they not only Americanized it in terms of its setting, but they also Americanized it in terms of its treatment of Ireland as a whole. Because America loves Ireland. Absolutely loves it. Yeah. And, and And the way that they portray both the Irish and Ireland in this film is very much the ideal of what Ireland stands for. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of part of a parcel, really, isn't it? Is If they were going to Americanize this story, it was always going to go this way if they included those parts of Ireland. And they were always going to include those parts of Ireland because that's where the film was set. Yeah, yeah, of course. that was It was always going to happen. I just, yeah, just it just really annoyed me. <laughs> and there's so little Irish cinema as well. It was a best-selling book. I don't know. I don't know what it is about whether there aren't enough production companies in Ireland or who are willing to... A lot of stuff is filmed in Ireland because of tax reasons. I'll tell you that when I was there last, we were driving through the Wicklow Mountains and we saw them filming The Vikings, the TV show The Vikings. Yes, yeah. Yeah, there was a guy in his big Viking outfit standing on a hill going... And they did did, uh, part of Star Wars The Last Jedi, didn't they? It was filmed in Ireland. That's where yeah. that's where Luke's island uh, yeah. island was. Skellig Michael, it's called. Um, so yeah, but there's there's just not there's very little Irish cinema that's like this, and it could have it could have been really amazing. I, I it's it's not I know it's it's a stupid thing to be annoyed about, but it's such a shit film that like you only think about what could have been, and you I think it is worse because it just didn't have to be like this, did it? It's like if someone's made a shite film, um and it's just some american nonsense then you're like okay fine but it's not there are, you know these kind of american rom-coms are 10 a, pe- ten a penny we need and more irish you, rom-coms would you like to know about why irish cinema isn't that big um because i have a little bit of knowledge of this and i'm sure someone will well it's to do with ireland's economy isn't it ireland has a very very strange and interesting economy but that i don't think is that hospitable to to filmmaking even more than that it's to do with um the amount of funding for the irish film board um which only started really ramping up in around 2009 so although it existed before then 
Um, it's only after about 2009 where they really started pushing it more and more, kind of off the back of films that, like The Wind That Shakes the Barley, yeah, which kind of really promoted an Irish message in Irish cinema made by Irish people. Um, they kind of, off the back of that, started pushing it more. And you started getting more films like that. So um, they should have waited two years, is what you're saying. Yes, yeah. If they had two more years, then maybe someone would have got it. But at the same time, if the book was as popular as you said, as 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 it is, could any Irish production company have been able to afford the rights to make it? Yeah, you got to jump on it. To be fair, you got to jump um, on it. You got to attach the stars because yeah, Hollywood is Hollywood. But this, I think, is a classic example of Hollywood just being very bad. Yeah, and and it, it's. I wouldn't say that this movie is any worse than a lot of the the more dramatic side of romantic movies that came out at the time. Um, and I wouldn't say that its portrayal of a foreign country is any worse than a lot of the stuff that comes out of Hollywood either. I think it's a, it's a, it's a bad movie, but I think there's enough here to be entertaining in a bad way to, to make it, you know, a trashy watch. It's, this, it's the kind of film where you can understand people having nostalgia for it and sitting around and having a, a, you know, like a tub of ice cream and watching it together, knowing that it's not a particularly good film, but still enjoying the nostalgia around it. Yeah, for sure. And I think the people who made it knew that. They, were, they weren't trying to make high art, were they? But I no, don't know. No. It, just, it just really offended me on so many levels. All of the scenes were too long as well. Did you, did you think that? Yeah, this movie needed to be about half an hour shorter than it was. Um, <laughs> it, it is over two hours long and it doesn't need to be. Um, it, it, it could have done with being a bit, you know, snappier. Um, and and it's, it's not to do with the general idea of the plot because the general idea of the plot's fine. You know, you're getting these messages that have been set up from your, your partner who's unfortunately deceased and it's, you know, helping you have that reminder of them but also helping you um grow and um and come to terms with it and that's a really it's a neat little conceit for a film and it's a neat little conceit for a book um yeah I'd, just I'd be every interested scene, to know how it plays out in the book if, if, my understanding is that that she was given like a load of letters at one point so there wasn't the how are these letters getting here yeah they were all there and then she had to have the self-control to read one every day is, yeah. is how i understand it which isn't um, very cinematic no which fair. isn't very cinematic it's just she goes and picks up a letter and reads it there's not that dramatic uh, edge to it um but yeah it's it's you know it's it's a n- neat concept but you're right that every scene felt like it went on a little bit longer than it needed to yeah especially the opening as well and i i didn't hate the opening i was kind of open-minded where it was all it was them just in their like in their apartment just talking and that was actually not bad in terms of establishing the intimacy and the chemistry between them that wasn't a bad look at intimacy but then the next scene it all just starts to go way downhill and within you know 3 minutes of it being about good intimacy between people it's been reduced to hey you know what's funny a priest swearing lol yes yeah it, but that that opening scene actually does a really good uh really good attempt at showing two people in a relationship where there are these issues but they don't matter at that moment in time if you know what i mean and and the best parts of the film were all of the parts with jared butler in it in spite of his accent um the way that that jerry and holly as characters interacted 
and the way that you got an idea about their relationship was actually much better than anything else there. Um, which is saying something given how bad Jared Butler's accent is in this film. It really is. That, that, that those are the most genuine feeling. And, and and they do feel genuine as well. That's not just as saying it as a, everything else is so bad that this feels good. But it's actually decent, those those aspects of it. Yeah, you, you believe that chemistry between them. And that performance is okay. It's competent, you know. A lot of the criticism seemed to have been about her performance, but I didn't think it was bad. I just thought she was working with a very lumpen film. Yeah, she's fine in this movie. There's a, there's a couple of moments which are a bit dumb. So when she when she meets um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan and she sort of chokes on her words, it reminded me of every single moment in Never Been Kissed. Where, oh God, um, yeah. <laughs> I just died well, in your arms yeah, tonight. Like, like, you know, every moment that she's on screen was like that in Never Been Kissed. And here, there's that one scene that's like it, and it's like, oh God, I hate it so much. And apart from that, her performance I think was fine. Yeah, she dealt um, quite well with the fact that the script seemed to call for a lot of unnecessary scenes in which she's just in her pants for no reason. Yes, yeah. Um, although people are often in their pants when no one's around. Yeah, that's true. But I think um, they just did it because for the for the sex appeal. Kind of, but it's not the the scenes weren't really framed in a sexual nature, though, were they? I guess not. Like but... a lot, a lot of a lot of those scenes were shown were there sort of to show sort of a degradation or an emotional turmoil. There was no Transformers esque loitering on the buttocks, <laughs> for instance. Yeah, um, which is was... which is something that Michael Bay is very fond of. Michael Bay's PSA love. <laughs> He's very fond of the buttocks loitering. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know whether that's true of him in real life or just in his cin- cinematography, but you know. P.S. I love you, Optimus Prime. <laughs> um, yeah, they should have made this movie with with Mark Wahlberg and The Rock. <laughs> no, Mark Wahlberg and Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> My main man, Shia LaBeouf. I wonder what he's up to. Oh God, I don't know. I do, do I want to know? <laughs> I think he got arrested, actually, for doing an anti-Trump protest. Did he? Yeah. So he's. I think he's on the right side, but he's... He's probably out there defending Elon Musk. He's on the right side, but kind of every side that he's on is the wrong side at the end of the day, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so this movie is it's it's quite trashy, isn't it? Um, yeah. It is. It is a trashy watch. Um, I'd say that a lot of the the supporting cast are all right. Yeah. Um, obviously, you've got Kathy Bates, who's always fantastic. She's excellent. Um, James Masters not playing Spike from Buffy. In a rare, yeah. not playing Spike from Buffy or the green guy from Dragon Ball performance. Yeah. Claire, she went off to have a bath and then she walked in off with him and was like, oh, I forgot that Spike from Buffy is in this. What the hell is he doing in this? <laughs> um, but I, I really like James Masters. He's, he's uh, very good. Very underrated actor. Yeah, he's a good one. Um, and, um, and then you've got, you know, Lisa Kudrow, uh, Gina Gershon. Um, I, I liked Lisa Kudrow's performance because I like her. But I felt like her character was incredibly smug and irritating. Yeah, her ca- her character kind of her character was quite similar to um, like the worst aspects of Phoebe from Friends, I suppose. I think it that is very like much that. what they based it on. Yeah. Um. And and yeah. So it was a bit, but but she still managed to um, carry it off well. Um. Because she's Lisa Kudrow and she's good. Um. 
But yeah, do you want, do you want to know something about this film? Now, I'm not saying that this is a reason why it's bad, but it had the same screenwriter as The Bridges of Madison County. Well, there we go. <laughs> R- Richard Lagravanese. Um, who who uh, who was also the director, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, oh, so he, he wrote and directed, well, adap- adapted, he was involved in the adapting and directed this, so he wrote the screenplay for The Bridges of Madison County, and Clint Eastwood directed his screenplay. See, whereas I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I enjoyed The Bridges of Madison County. Yeah. Um, because it's, you know, it it doesn't take itself anywhere near as seriously as The Bridges of Madison County. Oh, yeah, County, yeah. Which but I, I, I honestly enjoyed The Bridges of Madison County a lot more than this. <laughs> So I definitely, I definitely didn't like. I, th- th- I was not bored in this film. Um, whereas Bridges of Madison County, my memory of it is two hours of people standing in a kitchen, and then someone crying in the rain. And that's all. Oh no! And there's a bridge. There's, there's th- more than it. one bridge. There are multiple bridges. Is, is there more than one bridge, or did they just film it from different angles, Paddy? No, no. There's, there's at least ten different bridges. It's like, it's like Beethoven after Beethoven died. They had to they had to get in ten different dogs because the original the original bridge died. <laughs> oh, did it kill itself because it was in the bridges of Madison County? <laughs> no, it died from happiness about getting to work with Clint Eastwood before he, before he turned into a mental old right wing racist. Maybe it was the crying Actually, in the rain that broke him. He kind of always was an NRA guy, wasn't he? He was, yeah. He, I think he's got worse with age, but he, I think that's always been a part of it. Um, but yeah, this movie, it's not highbrow entertainment, is it? No, it is not. And I, perhaps I'm being unfair to it in that regard. I'm not assessing it as trashy. Whereas a lot of other films that we've, we've done, I have defended because they're trashy. Yeah, where, whereas this, that is. This, this movie is definitely on the trash pile. And I think that's part of why... And, and I went into it kind of treating it as such as well. Um, and, and like, because I'd heard bad things about like the accent and I heard that it was incredibly cheesy. So I was like, okay, yeah, it's going to be like a weepy movie. That's all well and good. And then I heard Jared Butler's accent and I was like, yes, I'm fully on board with this movie right now. Um, throw all that trash at me. Throw yeah. throw this island at me. Um, I will admit that Meryl Streep's Italian accent in The Bridges of Madison County is worse. <laughs> It is, it is, yeah. And given how bad Jared Butler's accent is, because I think Jared Butler had to apologise for his accent in this movie, didn't he? He did. He had to, ha- he issue, had to an issue a statement. To Ireland. He was advised by his PR people to apologise to Ireland. <laughs> um, which I, I think is very impressive. Um and 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 yeah so it's kind of i don't know i i can't treat this movie too seriously it's not it, i'm probably not going to watch it again anytime soon i wouldn't say that i enjoyed it but i appreciated it for what it was and i can understand why people enjoy it so much still yeah um and and it's one of those films that really divides opinion because critics were not very happy about this movie when it came out um it got a bad critical reception so i think the average score was something like four out of ten um but audiences loved it and audiences continue to love it and it's um imdb score is still 7.1 um interesting 
and so it's it's got to be one of those one of those real cases where there's a big difference between audience reaction and and critical reaction yeah um but it's because most film critics are old blokes and most of the people watching this film are young women i think it illustrates the gulf between those two things quite well actually yeah it's it, it because there's certain movies that critics always despise and there's certain movies that critics love which then don't gain traction with um with audiences so um recently i went to go and see hereditary the, yeah, um, there's been quite a debate about this, yes. hasn't there? People um, are saying it's this generation's exorcist, and a lot of people had taking or taking umbrage with that. Mark Kermode took some umbrage with that with that statement, and he's been banging on about it for weeks. And I wish he'd shut up about it. I need but, to go and watch his because I was waiting until I saw it to watch all of Mark Kermode's stuff about um, about Hereditary. Um, so he doesn't think it's this generation's exorcist. No, he it? thinks it's good and it's perfectly decent. But he, yeah, he's not. Um, he doesn't think it is, but on the the podcast, not the most recent episode, the one before, they like do a, a spoilerful, spoilerific discussion with him and Robbie Collin, and Robbie is defending it and saying that it is this generation's Exorcist. So I listened to that and got the spoilers because you know I don't know if I'll ever bother seeing it because I'm interested in that kind of film, but it's not high on my list of priorities. And that was actually really interesting. Uh, okay, because I'm very much in Mark Kermode's court in that I enjoyed it, but it had some pretty glaring flaws and it's the the mark of a good horror movie for me is that you'll be in bed four days later and you'll suddenly not feel sleepy anymore and be scared out of your mind thinking about something from the film yeah hereditary hasn't done that for me at all you'll be haunted by plastic ghosts yes yeah exactly um and so and so it hasn't hasn't done that for me at all so i don't think it it stands up to that level of scrutiny um, and the story it tells is not a phenomenal one, but it's very well shot and it's very, it's got this real doom laden atmosphere, which is cool. And the plot's perfectly fine. It's got some really good set pieces, so a couple of genuinely shocking horror moments. So it's good. But audiences in general, the general public has despised it. It, it is, it got a D minus cinema score rating from people who went to go and see the film or something like that. Oof. Um, whereas critics have pretty much given it praise across the board even if it's only so far as saying it's a good movie but it's not a classic Um, i think that is is it partly because it's been marketed as a film that transcends the horror genre so people have gone to see it who aren't that into horror but have a, a bit of an open mind about it and then they've expected it to completely blow them away when actually it's just competent well i think it's the general pub people who watch horror movies who will appreciate a film like hereditary are weirdos like me who are interested in things like cinematography and atmosphere and things like that and tony collette and tony collette (laughs) whereas people who like horror movies but aren't that fussed about them will go into this movie and hate it because there's no jump scares or anything like that it's framed in a very weird way a lot of the shots are very weird so it makes you it it's very off-putting um and so people would probably just come out of this movie feeling a bit uncomfortable and maybe feeling a little bit scared and a little bit grossed out from a couple of scenes and not really understanding what they'd seen and and this is something that's happened quite a lot with 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 these films that have kind of created a new idea of what horror is so films like the witch it follows it comes at night have all tried to do horror in a slightly different way um and generally the critics have been really impressed by them because it's a very refreshing new take on trying to scare people 
but audiences have expectations and when those expectations aren't met where there's no scene where there's a brief pause and then a cat jumps out and everyone in the audience goes oh my god it was so scary and that doesn't happen they're they're mad yeah. um and, and 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 i think that's mainly what's happened here is that it's a decent film but it doesn't really feel like a generic horror movie so audiences who want a generic horror movie are unimpressed the the bottom line is that people are idiots <laughs> people will go and watch paranormal activity 7 <laughs> and love it they won't go and watch hereditary exactly um but yeah it's it's a it's a decent film it's it's good um there's some there's some bits in it where i even i was left a little bit speechless by the horror um and not necessarily just with it being gory though there's some very well crafted moments cool. which i liked um but oh, yeah it's i would like, like to see it yeah it, but it's kind of like the inverse of ps i love you where critics loved it audiences hated it critics hated ps i love you but it's become kind of this cult movie that's with and it's now it's been over 10 years since it came out and still it's talked about yeah people people still do still are aware of it but like you said it's that kind of nostalgic thing i don't think anyone's watching it anew now the market for it now exists of people who watched it when they were young in 2007 but it was available on the amazon prime for free so yeah, and I, and I think it, it'll become one of those movies that gets lumped in with the other romantic movies of the time. And so new audiences may well go and have a look at these movies from back then and watch them all in one go, and it will probably get a life beyond its initial release that way. So there's the nostalgia, and then there's people going into it anew, but going into it expecting a sense of nostalgia through osmosis. Yeah. Um. And it's probably going to serve them quite well because all of those cheesy fairy tale elements will feel, if you're not going into it expecting anything amazing and you're going into it expecting that kind of stuff, it's probably going to tick all the boxes you're looking for. Yeah. You go looking for trash, you'll find trash. (laughs) Are you saying that people who go on Amazon Prime and look up the videos are effectively raccoons going through trash? Absolutely. You're an Amazon (laughs) raccoon. I know I am. <laughs> oh dear. Um so yeah, do you have anything else you want to say about PS? There, there was one bit that did make me laugh, which was when the there's a the guy dressed as a leprechaun comes to her door and oh, yes, he's yeah. he's supposed to sing Yamo be there and he's clearly very weary with the whole thing and then he's like, I was in an off Broadway play with Al Pacino, I don't need this shit. That was genuinely very funny. Yes, that that made me laugh uh, quite a lot, actually. That little scene, and, and and that was pretty much the only moment that made gave gave me a little giggle as well. Um, the, the you mean movies, you didn't laugh at the priest swearing? I did. Yeah, um, well, I mean that was so funny that I couldn't even bring myself to laugh, Paddy. Yeah, tears of joy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's um. Yeah, it's it's not a very funny film. When it tries to be funny, it's not very funny. Um, you you get those odd sort of wry smiles when it's sort of a conversation between Hilary Swank and Jared Butler, where it's like, oh yeah, okay, you can. There's a little bit of quippy dialogue between the two of them, but where it tries to be an out and out comedy, most of the time it it does not do so. Yeah, and it sort of it lumbers along. We get about two thirds of the way in, and then they have to sort of invent a bunch of fake jeopardy. So like, she loses her job, and then she has a completely fake, stupid falling out with her girlfriends just so they can make up and stuff. 
because it's all to do with weddings and babies because all women must get married and have babies and she doesn't have those things and meh, 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 isn't it sad and yeah it just the way it lumbers to its inevitable conclusion is kind of elephantine yes yeah and and i understand the general idea and the theme of you know she's lost her husband her husband who wanted to have a child with her and now she's seeing her peers reach that stage and she's not sure if she'll ever either want it or be able to reach it again without that pillar of support next to her and i can understand that but the way that they did it was was very very clumsy yeah particularly revealing both at exactly the same time um and it's the kind of thing that you could get away with in a comedy like if this was a a tame comedy from the era you'd be like okay yeah but because there was a a farrelly brothers film well yeah if if this was never been kissed (laughs) then you could imagine them doing it um and you and you'd kind of gloss over it because there's so many things that are worse in that movie than than clunky finales because its own finale was so horrendously bad (laughs) yeah um but yeah it it it, it, it's very very clumsy a a lot of the scenes in ireland are very very clumsy both from a plot and a store and a and a thematic perspective yeah and there's also a moment where she goes to her mum and she cries after all the fake jeopardy and then of course it's all because her dad left and he can't be there to give the emotional dad speech there's no emotional dad speech there's a little bit of an emotional mum speech from kathy bates but yeah, the lesson is, if you're going to do a romantic film, you need an emotional dad speech. Of course, the real reason that the dad's not around is that Kathy Bates locked him in a room and chopped his legs off. <laughs> um, that's a that's a misery yeah. callback. By they the should they should have got Stephen King to be in this film. <laughs> Stephen King could have been the creepy dad at the end, <laughs> creepy Irish dad. He would have done very well at that. Did, you, did I tell you I met him? Oh really? Oh, yeah, amazing. about a month ago, he did a little meet and greet at work. He was very nice, incredibly gracious, and unbelievably cheerful. He's like the most upbeat guy. I've I've heard that he's a friendly fella. Yeah, he's lovely. Um. So so in terms of, I've I've got a little bit of trivia for you. Yep. First off, there is another tie between this movie and Bridges of Madison County. What? In that. Hilary Swank was also in Million Dollar Baby, the oh, uh, Clint Eastwood the film, Clint Eastwood movie, the most uplifting movie of all time. Definitely not horrendously depressing <laughs> at all. It's super super fun that movie, and I highly yeah. recommend anyone who wants a feel good hit for the summer to go and watch it. Um, no disclaimer, it's unbelievably sad. It is good though. It's well. It is very good. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies where Clint Eastwood went through a run of directing incredible films, um, and Million Dollar Baby is one of them. And uh, and yeah, so it's really good. Highly recommended if you want to watch something that will make you very sad. And her performance is so good that it makes you forget all about P.S. I Love You. (laughs) And 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 that's the thing. Hilary Swank is one of those actors that is really strange in that some of her stuff is incredible and some of it is just not and it's and it's really weird and there doesn't really seem to be any middle ground it's either great or terrible yeah um which is which is interesting um but yeah it's it's a it's a weird one that um so yeah in terms of other trivia obviously jared butler had to apologize (laughs) 
um which for his accent which is great <laughs> yep yeah, as, as well he should um which yeah which i love um and and, and yeah um the other bit of trivia i'll have for you there's not a lot of interesting trivia it's more sort of like that kind of funny coincidence stuff um so factual stuff yeah lisa kudrow's character is also called denise um and when she was in friends uh she mentions a roommate called denise in one of the episodes so it's like oh maybe this is the same denise and actually it's another one of the buffet sisters it's not is that it that that's pretty much it the rest of it's just stuff about the making of the film um jeffrey dean morgan had to learn to play the guitar for the part in this film and he does oh. an all right job. He he strums he has along. To learn how to play a D. <laughs> he strums along quite well. A D and a G. <laughs> that's the that's the foundation of all Irish folk music, Paddy. I'll have yeah. Um, and he yeah, also he d- looks a little bit like Peter Serafinovitz. <laughs> <laughs> the Jeffrey Dean Morgan. He's part of that um, that bizarre trifecta with um, with Javier Bardem. Yeah, as the well. first time I saw what he appeared on that, I was I went, is that Javier Bardem playing an <laughs> Irishman? <laughs> and then I realised who it was. But yeah, Which, yeah, he looks like Javier Bardem. Yeah, they 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 look incredibly similar. And then yeah, you've also got Peter Serovinovich in there, and also Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, and and kind of Jared Butler as well. They've all got this kind of similarity to them. Yeah, yeah, that is the thing as well that like the the sexy Irish guy who appears there to be be the love interest in the end, he's not really any different from her husband, is he? No. It's, it's homogenous, the same way that all of the men on Love Island look the same. But one of them has a decent Irish accent. What, so... One of the guys on Love Island? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. I don't watch it. Um, but yeah, yeah, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's got an all right Irish accent. Which immediately puts him above Jared Butler. Although I don't know if he's kicked anybody down a hole. I don't think he has. He seems too nice. Although in The Walking Dead, he's probably done some shit that's a lot worse than that. Yes, he's done he's done bad things and a lot of stuff. But at the same time, he also plays the father in Supernatural. So he's, you know, been hunting demons and ghosts and stuff. Cool. Swings and roundabouts. I can, I can live with that. Man of contradictions is old Jeffrey Dean. The last, the last thing I want to talk about is... Do you feel like it, the film is fair to her in terms of in terms of how it approaches grief? I, f- I feel like the film, it's kind of like a lot of the premise is based on the fact that she's grieving wrong and everyone's telling her that she's grieving wrong and she has to go through this whole huge cathartic process with the letters rather than just being allowed to grieve how it because everyone grieves differently, you know? It just felt a bit like she was put upon. Yeah, well, I think... Um... I I think it's weird the way that it treats grief in this film because you've got her grieving at the beginning and that's fine. I mean, obviously, she's going through a bad time. And then you've also got people telling her to just get out of it and just go and do stuff. But then you've also got these letters which kind of act like a hybrid between the two where it's all about her memories of the her past but then also about going out and doing things. So I guess that was kind of the message is remember what's great about what you've lost, but don't let it consume you. Yeah. Which I suppose is a fair enough message, but I think like people, like you said, people grieve in their own way. Um, And it, and it's a, it's a sweet message, but is it, but is it necessarily 
how things work in reality probably not not at all it's yeah and again it's it's just struck me as kind of cheap and a bit creepy that he was talking to her from beyond the grave so i i didn't mind that i thought it was quite a neat premise um, yeah, no, the the premise could be done really, really well. I'd like to see Richard Linklater remake it, for example. I would not, because the letters would never arrive. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, I was going to write you all these letters when I found out I was dying, but I just, but then I just sat died. around smoking weed for a bit and talking about <laughs> how love is the universe or some philosophical nonsense. Yeah. Um, the The... the the other funny thing is that um, Hilary Swank and Jeffrey Dean Morgan went on to be in another movie together um, called The Resident. The Resident. Yeah. I've heard of it, but I could not tell you of the content. Um, which, where Hilary Swank moves into a new apartment block and her landlord is really friendly and she's like, oh, he's so nice. But then it turns out that she, he's actually creeping on him, on her, and is like hiding in the walls watching her and stuff like that. Hiding in the walls. Yeah, it's it's a it's a creepy one. And All Jeffrey right. Dean Morgan's there hiding in the walls, being like, "Oh, I'm a creepy landlord." <laughs> it's the creepy landlord song. It's a creepy landlord song. That's how he gets caught. If you're going to creep on someone in the walls, don't sing whilst you're in the walls about how creepy you are, because you'll probably give the game away. Damn it, Jeffrey! Word of advice for you, Jeffrey Dean. Should have done that. Honestly. Um, but yeah, so do you have anything else to say about this movie, or shall we wrap up? No, I, I think I think I'm done. I think I'm done ranting about it. But yeah, <laughs> it's a very very cheap film that's offensive to the Irish. Tells a woman she's grieving wrong and is just shit. <laughs> I am really not a fan of this film. It's extreme, see, extremely not good. See, for me, this is the more fun version of the Notebook, where it's gonna make you it's trying to make you cry but at the same time it knows that it's a piece of crap whereas the notebook is all like oh we're so important oh whereas <laughs> is that ryan gosling's voice that's ryan gosling's actual voice whereas i i felt like at least the notebook tried this film didn't even try well, this, it, fil- this film phoned it in it half asked the assignment did the notebook try really or was it just putting on the pretense by being super sad for no reason Whereas here it's sad, but it's also happy at the same time. And it knows it's a piece of crap and it revels in it. And the audience is allowed to revel in it. Yeah, I guess. But it's it's the same thing of, you know, it, it gives you a way, either film gives you a way to cry. You can cry at Ryan Gosling and his handsome face, or you can cry at Jared Butler and his irritating accent. And his face actually really started to annoy me after a while in this film. I think he looks better <laughs> when he's a, sort of a, an action hard man. When he's got a bit yeah. of stubble. Yeah, he's good as an action hard man, less so as an Irish musician. Yeah, it was um, not the role he was born to play. No, no. But I feel like as a this movie shows its main characters more as people than The Notebook as well, whereas in The Notebook they're two weird, irrational things that are put through hoops to make you cry, whereas here at least their relationship feels genuine. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, I just I I was not in the right frame of mind for it, but yeah, I I hope that I never watch this film again. <laughs> so, shall we rant ra- uh, rate this movie out of how shall many we rant from your? I I can always rant. 
Um, we'll rank this in terms of how many letters from your dead spouse you receive, I suppose. Yeah, that's before the, that's you get the over grieving. One. Yeah. Well, I I would only get four letters. Four out letters poss- out of a possible twenty. Bloody hell. Yeah, not very many, but I'm over it. You know, I move on quick. <laughs> on to the next thing. On to the next Irish musician. Yeah, the Tenpenny. Um, <laughs> In fact, well, you, all, all Irish people are musicians. So it's true. Know. It that, it is actually true though. Every single Irish person knows how to play Irish a Persian punk song. <laughs> Irish Persians, yes. <laughs> now that, that's a good musical combo. <laughs> Jared Butler would be very confused then because he'd be like, oh, I'm supposed to put on an Irish accent, but also in the 300 I was killing the Persians. Yeah. No, it'd um, be fine because Scarlett Johansson could play any of those roles. <laughs> oh, dear. She does love choosing roles that she should not choose. Um, so so I'd give I'd give PSI Love You, I'd give it 11. Wow. Um I I you allow appreciate it into the double figures. Yeah, I I appreciated it as uh, a sort of nostalgic throwback, like a movie that people can watch and have that little bit of catharsis, but at the same time just have that nostalgic buzz at the same time. This is the biggest differential in podcast history. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Differential of seven. No other film has had a differential of seven. Oh. Cinderella, twenty fifteen. Had a differential of six. Well, I, I gave it a nine. You gave it a 15. Yeah, we had some differing opinions on that. But other than that, they've mostly, yeah, they've mostly been up to threes. Oh, Elizabethtown, you were quite, you were quite hot on that. That had a differential of five. As did The Wedding Singer. Sorry, I'm just going through the charts now. And La La Land had also had six um, in, yeah, in my favor rather than yours. Um, interesting. So yeah, this is the biggest differential. Oh, there we go. But yeah, I uh, it's it's a fine film, mostly because of my irrational hatred. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fine film for me. It's it's fine, and I, you know, I think I think people are fine to enjoy this movie as well. If this is not a terrible film, like um, like Bridges of Madison County, where I don't understand people's enjoyment of that at all. At least there's, I can understand aspects of this that people would like. I don't know if enjoyment is the right word. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, so yeah, that that's it for us then. Oh, so the, wh- where does that rank it overall in the ratings? Um, well, it's the, it leaves it with an average score of 7.5. If you just give me a second to resort the chart. I um, When I started typing it in, I accidentally typed OS I love you instead of PS I love you. <laughs> which was also the, the working title for the film Her. <laughs> I like that joke. Right, where are we? Format, data, sort range. You know, you know how to do it in Excel, but it's a Google sheet and um, sort by average score. Okay, the lowest is still Baywatch mm-hmm. <laughs> with an average score of three point five. I don't think anything's going to uh, to beat that anytime soon. That film is a real piece of shit. That film is worse than PS. I love you. Um, so I gave that a three. <laughs> um, let's see. So that gives it an average of 7.5. So it's pretty near the bottom. It's languishing at number 58 out of 63. Yep. 
So what's it below and what's so it above? It's above Never Been Kissed. Good. Twilight. Good. New Year's Eve. Good. And William and Kate the movie. Good. And it's on a par with Harry and Meghan A Royal Romance. Yep. Captain Corelli's Mandolin. <laughs> yep. And Love and Other Drugs. All have got an average score of 7.5. I feel bad for Love and Other Drugs being that high. I feel like that should be below this movie and below that, Captain Corelli's Mandolin. A, a very bad film. Yeah. But I've again, I felt like they were trying to do something interesting in Love and Other Drugs. That was maybe why I scored it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I gave it a, I, sev- a 7, which is not a great score, but... Yeah, because I gave it high again because it attempted and failed. Um, but yeah, uh, well, I, I think I think it's placed correctly in in the movie list right there. Yeah. I, I think on par with Harry and Meghan is about right because it it ticked all the same boxes for me. Yeah, did it tick the the Diana box? <laughs> there was a distinct lack of Diana. Naught out of twenty. No Diana mentions. No Diana reincarnated as a lion <laughs> in Ireland. Oh, Diana, actually, Diana, Diana, Diana. The Irish lion, as she's so known. The Irish lion. <laughs> so I um I didn't go into today with an idea of what film I wanted to watch next. Ooh. But but I think I've I think I've I've looked back at our kind of long list and picked one out but I'll, I'll i'll give you a choice do you want english or american oh um let's go english yeah i suppose as we just we just did american didn't we so i guess that makes sense bring it back to the brexit <laughs> um okay in that case we are going to be watching notting hill notting hill all right which um, i don't believe i've seen for have about- you not 12 oh, no for about 12 years oh okay yeah so i have no memory of any of the events or anything so i am looking forward to this you know a film that it, i've i've not time. seen i've not seen in a very long time is four weddings and a funeral i've never seen that oh okay well, maybe we should do that then i I'll don't know it, somehow it I somehow i missed it I, I don't know. It was. I remember. It, I even had a VHS of it, but I just never remember watching it. Yeah, actually, let's do that instead. Yeah, let's, four weddings and a funeral. Yeah. Alrighty. If, if only because of that episode of Peep Show where they go around the professor's house and Jeremy's like, "Come on, you've seen four weddings. Everyone's seen four weddings." And he's like, <laughs> "No." <laughs> All right. And it's Peter Capaldi as the angry professor guy. <laughs> All right. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. I've not seen that film in years, probably decades. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a nice a nice departure from PS I Love You. Because <laughs> if anyone hates the Irish more than PS I Love You, it's the English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. PS fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> right, do we have any other business? No, I was waiting till the very end of the podcast to say that, and now, and now, and now I've said it, so we can conclude. Alrighty, all right. Thanks all right, for listening, well, everybody. This is the Big Boys Don't Cry podcast. You can drop us an email at bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail dot com or um, on Twitter at bigboysdon'tpod. Always love to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed this, and we'll be back next week to talk about four weddings and a funeral. Yes, indeed. Bye bye. All right. Bye. Thank you.